turn this morning to Luke 21, if you will. Luke 21, and uh, it is good to be back. Uh, it's good to be back in God's house. It's good to be back with God's people and in God's Word again. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one right there in the pew back. It's been given there for you. And if you don't have one, feel free to take it with you. And uh, we'll look forward to what the Lord's going to do today as we continue our series. Today, I want to kind of shore up this kind of brief prophecy series that we've gone through. And it's not really been a true prophecy series as in, you know, what's going to happen and when and all that kind of stuff. But it's been a little more practical. And today we want to talk about uh, the last days again, but we want to talk about coping in the last days. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 21. We're going to look at a lot of verses, and I'm going to read a lot of more verses this morning by way of introduction. It's going to be a little, a little longer than normal. And uh, and so if, uh, if, if you can't turn that quickly, just write the reference down and then go and read it later for yourself, and I'm sure that it'll be a blessing with you. Because the context of the Lord's return and the end of days, or the last days before the end of days, is not given necessarily in just one place of Scripture. You have to take the totality of it uh, in a variety of different areas of Scripture, and and. And, and I will tell you, it is a deep pool to jump into once you jump into it. But I do know this, if you'll give yourself just to uh, the context of Scripture, it's fairly easy to understand. And, uh, and if you do have any questions, I'll be more than glad to try to help you as much as I possibly can. Years ago, we took about two and a half, maybe three years to study the book of Revelation, and it was a wonderful study and encouraging, I think, to a lot of people. But as I said when I started this uh, the, uh, just about a month ago, it's not about what necessarily or when it's going to happen. Is The most important thing about understanding prophecy, as in the end times, is knowing what we do know is going to happen. Uh, what does that mean for today? How can we take what we know and put it into use? What, why is God telling us all these kind of things? And and so we want to be reminded of that again today. In Luke chapter 21, I want to begin down in verse 25, and we'll read several verses here this morning, and you can follow along as you please here. The Bible says, And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The Bible is crystal clear about a lot of things, beginning with, if you start at the beginning, the creation of life. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we can take it to the bank that if God says that it's true, a lot of people think that we perhaps evolved. There are even some probably good-meaning people 
like Schofield, who was a gap theorist. He believed, yes, God created, but there was millions and millions of years between uh, the days of creation and all that happened, and he tried to marry evolution and creation. By the way, they don't marry. They're not good bedfellows, and uh, it's either God did or he didn't, and if you want to know what happened at the beginning, I suppose you should ask somebody who was there. And so the only one that we know that was there was God himself. And so the Bible's very clear. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Very clear, very plain. You could read those, read all about it in chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis. It's also very clear on many other things. For instance, it's clear in the Bible that marriage is between a man and a woman. And it's clear that that marriage is an honorable thing and that children are gifts of God, not a choice of one's body. Amen. It's also very clear about the spiritual condition of mankind, that we're all born sinners, and at the end of our lives, we are going to die in our sinful condition and be separated from God in a place called hell, which is literal, unless we're saved by the grace of God. It's clear from the Bible that Jesus Christ alone died for those sins and the sins of the world, and then on the third day, he rose again. That Jesus, the Jesus who died, the Jesus who was virgin born, the Jesus that hung on the cross, he alone can save. That Jesus, Jesus Christ, is the only one that can forgive, and he's the only one that is coming again. Now, the context of Jesus' return is also very clear in God's word. God calls those days the last days, and they are characterized by several things. The Bible tells us there's going to be a great falling away of believers from God's word and from God's will. It also says that the days are going to be characterized with great violence. It also says that it's going to be characterized by things like forbidding to marry and forbidding to eat meat. It's going to be characterized by people who are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It's going to be characterized by people who are lovers of themselves and all kinds of unholy living and People who have a form of godliness, but their life has no power with God at all. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of, things that are, of those things that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away." Then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, again in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. It will be a time when people are living what they, uh, living what they would consider normal lives, a time where they're just going to go about daily business and a time when they're not looking for anything to happen from God at all. In fact, Luke chapter 17 and verse 26, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank. The Bible says they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. 
But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Listen, Jesus' words, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And just as Jesus said it would be, guess what? It is today. Just as he said it would be. We've been living, you see, in the last days of prophecy for more than 50 years, and we're seeing that more clearly now than ever before. In fact, preachers all over the country are preaching about the signs of the times and the coming of the Lord, knowing full well it is imminent. And that's the doctrine of the Bible. The return of Christ is imminent at any time, and that as Christians, we have an obligation, a responsibility, as we have been chosen to live in such a time as this. Now, if the last two years of our time have exposed anything in the world, it is that there is a greater pandemic at large than COVID. And that pandemic is fear. Look at verse 26 back in Luke chapter 21. The Bible says, men's hearts failing them for what? For fear. Our days are filled with fear. There are marriages that are fragile and declining. There are declining moral standards everywhere. People's hearts are restless, fearful about their finances, about their future. All kinds of anxiety, all kinds of depression. By the way, all kinds of drugs to deal with all that. All kinds of dealings with it outside of how they should be dealing with these last days. They have no idea. In fact, even many Christians, though they may know of the imminent return of Christ, they're not living like it and they're living with things around them that are affecting them in such a way they couldn't possibly be thinking of the Lord's return. Living amidst all of this, providentially designed by God himself, are believers like you and I who have not been given the spirit of fear. We've been given the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. But what are we to do with it? Well, the fact is, how are we supposed to cope with these last days? And I believe that God in his word gives us three imperative ways to deal with these days as we've been chosen to live among these days. I want you to take your notes with me and, and, and notice with me, first of all, we're to deal or cope with these days by being aware of the signs, by just being aware and staying aware of the signs. Look at verse 34. The Bible says, and take heed of yourselves, lest at any time your hearts, notice what it says, be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you as unawares. Do you see that in your notes? The, the fact of the matter is, God says, look, verse 34 describes the life of someone who tries to cope with life and circumstances of his coming outside of the spiritual. In fact, you can circle the word or highlight it in your notes, the word surfeiting has to do with being hung over because of drunkenness. The idea is people who are trying to cope with lives through alcohol and being ignorant of the reality of life. They're trying to, they're trying to numb their life. They're trying to, could we say it this way? They're trying to forget about their circumstances and be ignorant of the times that they're in. And God says, no, no, no. He says, take heed to yourselves. I want you to be aware of what's going on. As believers, we're not supposed to live in the darkness. As believers, we're not supposed to be ignorant as to what is going on concerning the last days. We're supposed to be aware of the signs. And he gives us two examples of it. First of all, there's signs in nature. Verses 25 and 26 talk about the atmosphere and, and, and the sun and the moon and all that happens. And God's very clear in other passages, the Lord Jesus, from weather patterns to earthquakes to floods, fires, and famines, God gives us plenty 
of us to look at if we'll just look. Um, I, I don't know, uh, in the last, probably since the early 90s, I, I marvel at how many times Louisiana, Mississippi, and Florida get destroyed by hurricanes. It, it's like, could they be rebuilt at any other time, uh, anymore? Could they be destroyed anymore? Uh, the earthquakes all over the world, whether it's down in Haiti or in Puerto Rico, all of these places all over the world uh, that, that are, are simply suffering because of something naturally that's happened. And I can't help but think, Lord's coming. The more you see, the more you read, the more you check the Weather Channel. By the way, have you ever watched the Weather Channel? I think that that's what people do when they're tired of watching golf. It's the most boring thing ever. A couple of weeks ago, I turned on the Weather Channel. And I was like, oh. And, and by the way, you're kind of, I was dumb to turn on the Weather Channel to think that it would actually be of any place where I am. You turn on the Weather Channel and you're like, you know, in Des Moines, Iowa. I'm like, I don't care about Des Moines, Iowa. I want to know about California. For the next hour, we're going to talk about the next hour. Are you kidding? And the people, I'm just venting for a minute. The people that they get to work on the Weather Channel, their personalities, I, I, no wonder they're not teachers. The kids will be running out of the schoolhouse. I can't take it again. But, 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 but look at all that's happening in the world in weather. And, and what we need to be saying is, wow, it's happening more readily now than ever before. Um, the construction next to our house on Main Street there at the corner of Main and Hale is awful. And uh, we had a guy come out. We had a couple broken windows because of a said young man in my house that will remain anonymous because of balls and things. But anyway, he came out to look at the window and he said uh, he was listening to all the construction noise. And he goes, is this every day? I said, yes. I said, for a whole year. A year? Every day, Monday to Friday, sometimes on Saturday, yes. And I said, and it's supposed to go on for another three to four years. Three to four more years? He was like, oh my goodness. Well, in all of this construction, they drill down underneath the mountain there, and it gets so hard that they had to start blasting. And so I got on a mail list, and so then they send me an email, 30 minutes from now, we're going to be blowing dynamite, and then a five-minute alert, and then 30 seconds before, that's the all clear out of there, and then they have like 30 seconds and then they blow dynamite. And when it does, dude, all of our houses, when you think, is this the big one or is this dynamite? Literally, every, it blows in sections and goes through. In fact, they've trained my dog that even when the horns go off, she just starts barking because she knows it's going to start rumbling. It's amazing. They blow the horn, my dog goes, roo, 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 and then it comes. It's amazing. Those are man-made earthquakes. You know, there's earthquakes that happen all the time in different and various places, and sometimes very destructively. Now, I don't care whether it's 2.5 or whether it's 9.6. There are things happening in this world that God says are going to happen, and more often because he's coming again. There are signs in nature. Matthew 24 and verse 7, and there shall be famines and pestilences. By the way, the word pestilences is diseases and viruses. Hello? Uh, that aren't detected by tests, well, we'll, we'll leave that alone. There shall be famines and pestilences. Oh, look, and, and earthquakes. And then it says where? Notice what it says in Matthew 24, 7. In diverse places. This is not a local assembly of Israel that's going to have all this stuff. This is everywhere. Why? Because when God comes, he's not going to come locally. He's coming globally. There's signs in nature. Secondly, there's signs in the nations. Verse 29, he spake of them, of a parable, behold the fig tree and all the trees. 
when they know, shall shoot forth, you see, and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh. Israel here is the fig tree. And all the other nations is the world stage of that fig tree and all who are vying for position and power. By the way, isn't that the case today? Nation against nation. There's a lot going on in the world right now concerning China, concerning Russia and Iran and Korea. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 24, 6, Jesus said, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars or we're going to or the threats of wars. See that you be not troubled. Now see, there's a key there that all of these things are happening. And Jesus said, look, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I want you to be aware of it. And even when you hear of it, don't worry about all of it. Don't be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. Watch what he says. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be uh, famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. There are forces, do you understand, at work in this world today for a lot of things that are going to build toward the final prophecy of the tribulation. There are forces at work for a technology to move and to monitor world commerce. The digital currency is coming soon to a neighborhood near you. And all of that has to do with Jesus setting this up in a perfect way where he's going to tee it off and this world is going to be ushered into a a great tribulational time, but it's not yet. So until then, we're here, all of which will usher in the day of the Lord. But sadly, many of us are not looking for that day. We're so troubled and caught up with everything that's happened, we're forgetting The Bible says, therefore, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. So how are we supposed to deal with all this? Look, instead of having all of that affect us to the point where we can't see the Lord coming, we need to get our eyes off of all that is happening and look toward Him that is coming. That's the idea. We shouldn't be aware, uh, ignorant of all this. The first thing we need to do as believers is discern the times through what? Through the Word of God, the lens where we get our biblical view, and then be aware of the signs that all point to the coming of our Savior. That day draws nigh. And then let that be an encouraging thought. Listen, if you're saved, it should encourage you. You're going to heaven. You're going to be caught away. You're going to be forcefully removed from this earth. And listen, if your roots have got so deep down in this world that you're not looking forward to going there, you probably need to get some things right in your heart today. You need to get some alignment with God. Well, I just, you know, I I want my children to experience this. And I, I I would love to just be able to retire. Listen, when you get to heaven, none of that will matter. Jesus parts that eastern sky, you won't be thinking about what you missed out. You're going to be thinking about what lies ahead. Trust me. We need to cope these last days by being aware of the signs. Secondly, in your notes, by looking for opportunities. There are three verses I want you to focus on. Verse 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads. Uh, The Bible says in verse 30, When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. And then verse 31, so likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye, be assured that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Each one of these verses tell us the truth that Jesus Christ is going to come back. He is going to return. And the Bible is clear that in these last days, sin is going to get worse and worse. And either one of two things are going to happen in people's lives. One, their heart will grow stone cold, according to Jesus' words. 
or their life is going to fall apart because of sin. Now, Satan doesn't want you to believe it, but there are people around you that you know who are scared to death. They're fearful. There are people around you and I who are questioning everything. They're questioning everything. They're not settled on one thing. There are people who are hurting and there are people who have no hope. They're blind to the truth of God's love and God's grace and, and His goodness. There are others who have been turned off by what they have seen as religion. There are others who are turned off because of what they've witnessed in Christianity. How many have talked to somebody ever that said, well, I used to go, but this happened and I'm just turned off because of that. I don't go to church. Anybody ever had anybody like that? Raise your hand if you have. Yeah. Another huge way to deal with these days is to look out for others. Is to consider what somebody else may be going through or not. And to seek opportunities for, for two things. Real quick, letter A, to reach out with God's love. We talked about in our Sunday school hour, we talked about kindness. Oh, just, I just love that word, be kind. God says in Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one toward another. Um, it, it's one thing, it, it, and when you meet a kind person, doesn't it feel good? You always say, I, I said to our, our Sunday school hour, I was like, you know, when you, when you, when you address somebody, you, you could say it a bunch of different ways, but you could say, man, that per, you, you know, that person is so kind. You could say, they're so sweet. They're so thoughtful. They're so caring. All of that encompasses the word kind, right? When you meet someone who's truly kind, you feel good. And it's one thing to to meet someone who's kind. It's another thing to be kind yourself. And I think if there's one thing, I told our class, if there's one thing that our world could really use is kindness. It, it, it is. And, and, and this letter A, reach out with God's love, is, is a part of that. Um, you know, Dion Warwick sang a song years ago, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing. Now, I'm not a Dion Warwick necessarily fan. I don't think maybe she was a Christian. Maybe she was. I don't know. I don't think that song is meant to be that way. But I do know she got the theory right. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I said, did you just reference Dion Warwick and Jesus in the same thing? I did. You know, even the world senses what's missing. Love. We don't love enough. We say, I love tacos, I love lasagna, I love the Dodgers like everybody should, I love the Cowboys, you know, all those kind of things. We say all that kind of stuff. I love the 49ers, apparently. <laughs> we say all those things. But we really shouldn't if we're going to say, I love God. Because I don't love the Cowboys like I love God. At least I shouldn't. Yeah. Um, I don't love my kids like I love God, at least I shouldn't. That sounds so blasphemous, doesn't it? I don't love my parents like I love God, at least I shouldn't. And if I don't love God the way that I should, no reason, there's, no, there's uh, no wonder we don't have enough love in this world. Because if we love God the way we should love God, His love would be shed about in us and we would love somebody else. Can somebody say amen? Would you agree with that? 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. Do you see that? In, in this world where, man, there's so much hate 
and so much anger and so much posturing. And by the way, so much division in this country and in this world. And, and let me, can I just pull aside for a minute as your pastor and say this? I would caution you to listen or read anything that causes you to be even more divided than we already are. Be very careful. God is the great uniter. The devil is the great divider. And, and what you put in your mind, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Be very careful. Look, I'm for standing for truth, but not at the expense of God's love. Because Jesus was full of grace and truth. And I want to make sure that if, if I'm looking at these signs and I'm going, okay, Lord, you're coming. You know what that means? The majority of people breathing air today are going to spend eternity in hell. And they don't need to see what, what letter designator is behind my voting ballot. They need to see the cross of Jesus Christ in my heart. That's what's going to make the difference. We don't have that. We need to look for opportunities to reach out with God's, God's love. Last week, I met a man, and uh, uh, they, were down from, they were in from Arizona, and um, he was a lawyer. I've never met a lawyer. And not only was he a lawyer, he was married to a lawyer. And I was like, dude, he's rolling in bank. No, that's the first thing I thought. But um, he, just a normal dude. We were just talking or whatever. I saw him a few days later at a distance. And I was like, hey, don't I know you? And he was like, oh, yeah. He's like, I'm sorry, what's your name? I was like, Kyle. I said, I'm Steve. I said, hey, Steve, how's it going? Good. Got to talk with him a little while. Asked him what kind of a lawyer he was. He was a civil or uh, he was a defense lawyer, mostly for the Big boys, the murderers, the rapers, the, all of those kind of things. Civil defense. And, and he was also a lawyer for the ACLU. And I was like, mm. I was looking at him, Bob, like, oh, man. And then you know what I realized? He's a human being. Just like me. And he was someone whom God loves just like me. And I started talking with him. And uh, he said, by the way, what do you do? Yes said, actually, I'm a pastor. Really? That's how he said it. Really? I said, yes. How long have you been doing that? I said, well, I've been at the same church 21 years. I've been almost pastor almost 18 years. He goes, wow. Same place. Yep. He said, same house? I said, same house. He said, wow. So I have a lot of respect for anybody that would stay doing something like that for that long. And I said, well, tell me about yourself. I said, do you go to church anywhere? Ah. He said, I don't. He said, I, I did the church thing. He said, I was, I, I was in school. I was raised in a Catholic school. Then I went to a Methodist school. Then I went to Episcopal school. And he said, when it was all said and done, I was like, you know what? I'm done with all of it because none of it agrees and I don't like any of it. I mean, he was just forthright. And I said, really? That's too bad. Yeah, so because of that, I don't do the church thing. And he was started to go down this whole line and then when I did, you know, I finally started to go, and then something happened. I started talking about leadership problems and all this just junk, and because I witnessed, I don't know if I've ever seen real Christianity, just kind of, after he started, I don't think that he could pull the horses back, and just started going. And I said, well, can you do me a favor? I said, let, let me just say this, and I said, when I'm done saying it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, because you believe the same thing. Kind of looked at me, and I said, would you do me a favor and not stereotype all Christians because of some that you've seen? I said, would you not stereotype 
all churches because of some that you've witnessed? And he kind of checked himself. And he said, yeah, I can do that. I said, good, because you understand it's not good to stereotype anybody, right? (laughs) And I felt the Lord take over the conversation, which I was so glad. I'm face to face with the devil. No, (laughs) I I, I literally was so amazed at how grace just fell on on our conversation. And I said, tell me about your wife. He said, oh, she's an atheist. And I was like, I don't know what to say now. I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, I don't believe this conversation's by accident, Steve. I said, I've been doing this too long. I don't think it was an accident that we met a few days ago and now we're meeting again. And I said, I know this. Because he was like, you know, now I just believe. And this is what he said, I, I, I quote. He said, now what I really believe in is loving God and just loving others. No joke, that's what he said. I said, man, that's great. That, I said, that's it in a nutshell, kind of. I said, so where do you go to church? Well, I, you know, I don't, and we did the online. I guess I'm, you know, if I do anything, it'd be online. And I said, that's too bad. I said, the reason that's too bad is because God never intended Christianity to be like that, and you can't actually be who you're supposed to be without this. Yeah, I suppose you're right. So where do you live? Ranch Cucamonga? I said, just so happens my pastor's son pastors a church there. <laughs> He's like, no. I was like, yeah, for sure. I said, I know where Ranch Cucamonga is. I said, I was raised in Hemet. Hemet, yes. I started talking about that. Tried to get me off track, brought him right back. I said, listen, I said, here's the facts. The fact is, if you're a believer like you said you are, I said, God wants to save your wife. I said, he wants to save your little, I mistakenly said little girl, it's a little boy. I hate it when I do that. Sometimes you can't tell because of the hair and haven't seen them, you know, enough. And I just took a pot shot and guessed wrong. I was so stupid. Save your little girl. Actually, it's a little boy. Sorry, little boy. And I said, that's only going to happen if they see Christ in you. I said, you talked about loving God and loving others. Focus on the loving God part, finding what he wants for your life. And then love them and never underestimate the power of a believer. Told him your story, Bob, about how you got saved. And he was completely enthralled. He said, what's the name of that church? What's the name of that pastor? So if I Googled Matt Chapel Rancho Cucamonga, I would find that church. I said, yes. And he goes, I'm going to do that. And I said, look, don't, don't tell a preacher that you're going to do something. No, 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 no. I promise. I'll look. I hope that he did. But the fact of the matter is, someone that stands, let's just be honest, normally completely the opposite of where I, as a believer, Christian pastor, would stand, the only way that that individual and his wife is ever going to be saved is if someone cares enough to tell them, is if someone shows them the love of God. That's what this world needs. How do we cope through all this? We look at someone else rather than ourselves, and we reach out with God's love. Secondly, we serve with the gospel. We serve with the gospel. Romans 1.19, Paul said, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. And let's face it, Acts chapter 1 makes it clear, Christians are to witness until Jesus comes again. When they stood and the angel said, Why stand you here gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus is going to come again. And it was right after Jesus said, And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Don't stop until he comes is the idea from Scripture. The time is now, and the gospel is the plan for the world. What the world needs is love. 
And how did God show his love? He commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How can they hear in whom they have not heard? And how can they believe in whom they have not known? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except one be sent? The fact of the matter is, the fact remains that when we are serving people with the gospel and we're loving people as human beings like we are, we don't focus on our problems, do we? We focus on the need at hand. So where are you going to take the gospel this week? Where are you going to take it? I don't know what your schedule is. I don't know the appointments that you have. Who are you going to reach? Who are you going to reach out to in love so that they see the heart of God? Because these signs are not for us to be ignorant. Their signs are to say, hey, listen, I just want you to know what's coming up. I'm still coming and I'm not going to come until it's all done and you're still doing what we're supposed to be doing. If you're finding it difficult to cope with our time and life and all that is going on in the world, maybe you should look at the signs differently and then focus your attention on opportunities to touch others. That's how we cope. Thirdly, and I'm done, we also cope in these last days by being diligent in our Christian life. Verse 33 says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now, we're all guilty of it, but sometimes when I look at the world scene and our culture that's imploding, I forget about God's word. Has that ever happened to you? You ever look at what's going on culturally and completely forget that Jesus is coming? You completely forget that God's word is even there, that you forget that God's telling us how to live in that? I suppose any of us can lose perspective from time to time with all the changes that are taking place, but one thing that never changes, according to this verse, is God's Word. God's Word never changes. Heaven and earth will change. They'll pass away. But Jesus said, my words shall not pass away. They are forever. That means His Word endures through troubled times. His Word doesn't change. It gives us the perspective we need for such times. Psalm 12 and verse 1, help Lord for the godly man ceaseth for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. Listen, the words of the Lord, verses down from there, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Listen, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. All of that in the middle of all of this turmoil and trouble. Christians that are walking away. David says faithful men that are walking away. And evil that's being exonerated and exalted. My word still stands. My word's still true. You can still take it to the bank. I've tried it in a furnace of earth, purified it seven times. All you have to do is pay attention to it. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but not God's word. God's word still stands today, but we have, we have to be diligent to dig into it, don't we? We have to be diligent to keep it and to cherish it. Let me make this statement. Much of your Christian life depends on two things, and I'm going to give them to you in letters A and B. Much of your Christian life depends on two things. Letter A, your personal time with Christ. And letter B, your public worship with others. Now, let me break both of those down. First of all, your personal time with Christ. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, 
and they are they which testify of me. You want to know Jesus? You're going to have to stay in the Gospels. You're going to have to read him. You're going to have to study who he was. You're going to have to study what he did. You're going to have to study what he said. You're going to have to study the people that he was with and the people that he cared for, the people's needs that he met, how he met them, the Bible's description of his heart for people and the compassion and his love, all of his loyalty. If you want to know Jesus, you got to spend time with him. The only way to do that is by spending time in his word and on your knees. Acts 17 and verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Your time with God and his word has the ability to keep you from sin and build your faith, but you must read it and heed it every day. Otherwise, the sin that the Bible keeps you from will keep you from the Bible. This book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. D.L. Moody said that years ago, years ago. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things, things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Man, the, our personal time with Christ, how, how could I possibly live in such a confusing day and not walk with the one who is truth? He is the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. Can I ask you today, how's your personal time with the Lord? How is your personal time with Christ? Because we don't know what a day may bring forth. And we're charged to seek God's will today and every day because there is sufficient grace and sufficient truth to be found, but only for the day that you're living, not another day. The other thing that we've got to be diligent with, I said letter B, is our public worship with others. I want you to write this phrase down. We need other believers. We need them. It's not a convenience. Uh, it's not just a bonus. It's not one of the amenities. We need other believers. And I've stressed this for the last two years. God never intended for people to be an online Christian. Never intended that. There's no such thing as online Christianity. You won't find that in the Bible. Well, Pastor, you're not considering the 21st century and the age that we live in with technology. No, I don't have to consider it because the Bible's already considered it. Here's what the Bible says. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves online. No. Here's the funny thing. You can't assemble together apart. Virtually or not. You can't. You cannot. We need other believers. There's no such thing as online Christianity or being part of an online congregation or ministry because Christianity has always been accomplished and matured in the company of other Christians. Christians need the church, so they need to be in church. Let us not forsake the assembling together. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Let's just break this down for a few minutes. Let's, let's hold fast the profession of our faith Without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. So whether I waver in my faith or not is connected to my togetherness with other Christians or not. That's the context of the verse. If a Christian is wavering in their faith, it's probably because they haven't been with other believers at some time. Why? Because the rest of this verse says, exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. God understands. Did you know that God's smarter than us? 
Did you know that God's, God's combined foolishness is smarter than our combined wisdom? You say, that, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can read that today. All of the best that we can do together is still dumber than God's foolishness. So God knows, as we've read, in the last days, things are not getting better. They're getting worse. Signs all around the globe. And what happens to Christians? We get troubled. We start to cope in other ways. We start walking away from our faith. We start losing our faith. We start doubting. We get anxious. We start thinking about things on the earth rather than our affections being setting above. And so what does God say? Get together as believers. Get together. Why? Because your faith will be encouraged. You'll be encouraged by someone else coming and having their minds renewed by the word of God. And their life will encourage another life. And that marriage will encourage another marriage. And kids will encourage kids. And what happens? Then we can be without wavering. Then we have something to offer. Because listen, if a Christian's faith wavers and they try to go out into this world and help someone, there's no helping. The blind lead the blind according to Jesus and they both end up in the ditch. God says, listen, I want you to understand this. A strong devotional life brings peace in any storm and being surrounded with brothers and sisters in Christ brings encouragement, it brings love and an exercised faith according to Hebrews chapter 10, all of which is needed in the last days. Now, if you're struggling this morning, I want you to consider first, where is your heart with the Lord? How's your personal time been with Jesus? How much time have you dedicated in your day to Him? Maybe even the beginning part of your day. Maybe you could consider starting there with the renewing of your mind and see if that doesn't affect you. And by the way, it should. And if it does, good. Because if it affects you, more than likely you're going to affect someone else that day. How's your personal time with, with the Lord? Then you might want to actually live out the Christian life and touch another life with the love that God's touched you with. You can love because you are loved. You can be kind because God's kindness toward you. And see if your perspective on these last days will change as you expect to see him very soon. Expect. Wake up tomorrow. Look out the window and say, today could be the day. Today could be the day. And we'll be better for it. We will leave this world behind and we'll be like, ah! this corruption will put on incorruptibility and we will be forever with the Lord. Hallelujah for that day. We won't have to worry about who's president, who's going to be the world dominator, what's the money going to look like, what's my 401k, friend? Your 401k doesn't mean anything. They're walking on golden heaven. So all of this world should be just what it is, a place where we serve God and a place where we love people and a pilgrimage by which we walk. This week, let me challenge you with your personal time with Christ. If you're not taking time with Him, ask yourself what uh, what you have made that is more important than him. And then take it away, remove it. And I promise you this, you won't regret it. You won't. And it will change your days going forward. Let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the Bible and I'm so grateful, Lord, that, um, that it's true, that it still stands today. I'm so grateful, uh, Lord, that we have the truth and that you've given it to us and Lord, if we're honest, we probably have neglected it just far too much. Lord Jesus, we've neglected you and your cross, your grace. We're so sorry. Lord, we don't love you like you deserve. 
We don't love you like we should. We're so sorry. God, our heart today has been reminded that there are people less fortunate than we are, and I don't mean physically. There are people who, whose lives are falling apart because of fear the devil has blinded them to the truth of the gospel, to the love of God. And yet, God, you unwaveringly, you unwaveringly sit in heaven loving his creation so much. We're so grateful. Lord, will you help us? Please help us. Would you please remind us this week that we need to be with you, that we need to take a soulless time with you, that we need to be still and know that you are God. Will you help us to draw nigh unto you, Lord, so that you would draw nigh unto us with a pure heart? Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We ask for your help. We ask for your grace. We ask for your forgiveness when we fail you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just take a minute? Would you just talk to God? Would you talk to him about how he talked to you this morning? The one point of grace. Would you just talk to him? Is there something that you need to confess? Ask for forgiveness? I don't know. Let's just be with God right now.